Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk to the people who create these games, and to talk, you know, about big industry events. Now, if you listen to what I just said, you would know that this podcast is about lots of different game systems. And in recent years, I have gone a little bit down the bolt action rabbit hole. And understandably, it's my favorite tabletop game, and I spend a lot of time painting and listing and playing for and just playing bolt action. But there are lots of other great games out there. Now, clearly, we talked about Scouts Out, and we're going to be talking about a lot of other um, smaller and larger tabletop games in the year to come. In 2023, I do want to get back to Cast Dice as a larger gaming podcast. Yes, there will be tons of bolt action in there. Don't worry. And the Ghost Army is back. There will be more of that to come. However... I occasionally get asked um, when people find out I have a podcast, oh, so you talk about board games. And I always say, well, not really. Now, we have talked about a couple of board games over the years on Cast Eyes. <laughs> but as we are going into a new year, and I really do want to talk about different games and gaming in general, I thought it would be a good time to invite an old friend back on and a couple of old friends who have not necessarily been on this show before, one who's been on be once before, and one who's never been on before. So we have a nice spread there, who all share a singular passion that really lends itself to today's topic. So today, we are going to recommend some board games for you. Now, you might be an avid board game player as well, and you might agree or disagree with the games that we are going to put out there. <coughs> As always, you can message the page and or um, if you're on the YouTube, comment below or something. Isn't that what YouTubers say? I think it's time that we get into today's topic, which is 12 board games that we recommend you pick up and why. Gang, welcome to Cast Ice. Now, Libby, you have been on the show before. You came on to talk about competitive magic in Vegas, of all places. Uh, and you have been on to talk about a variety of other games as part of that. And um, just cool gaming travel in general. Welcome back to the show. How you doing? Thanks so much, Brad. Yep, doing very well. I'm very excited about talking about board games today, especially a few new ones that I've picked up in the last couple of months. So very excited to be here. Thank you. Now, we did see a post from you or a message in a chat that had something along the lines of this week was better than Christmas. Uh, and that's because one of the games that we are talking about today just got delivered to your hot little hands, right? I am so excited, Brad. It's called Frosthaven, the sequel to Gloomhaven. And I actually sat down tonight with my husband and we did all of our pregame admin. So we've set up our characters and we're ready to play our first scenario on the weekend. Now, true or false, you might be a little bit more excited about this than your husband, Lee. <laughs> He's being very kind and generous about this. <laughs> <laughs> Look, 
I can't think of a better, you know, better quality couple time than board games. Speaking of which, Dave. Now, you guys may have heard me talk about Dave in a couple of recent bolt action related podcasts. Uh, Dave is one of the Axis and Ales uh, bolt action league players who came to Jump to Action, who came to Operation Bear, um, who's just came over to play some games at the house. He's been playing a lot of games recently with a lot of folks. And uh, as you can tell, if you are looking at his picture, he's got a lot of board games behind him. Dave, you also like to play board games with your spouse. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me on the, the podcast. Um, I'll apologize now for, for, the, for the accent, just in case it takes a few, few, uh, few minutes to adjust. Um, but yes, board games are 100% um, a huge passion of mine. And most importantly, because um, they're a great way to, to spend time with your, your partner um, whoever that may be. And you can, you can pick different games that introduce different styles or different mechanics um, or, or just different ways of, of having, um, you know, a bit of time together and, and doing something that's, that's quite fun, but also competitive at this, at the same time. So I'm a huge advocate for, for board games and whether that's with two players or as a, as a big group, they're, they're just a great way to spend time. Brilliant. Brilliant. Nice. And our, other guest today is a man who really does need no introduction. If you've ever been on this network and you know that he is literally the DJ and I'm the rapper, he is the man who uh, put up with me when we did the Star Wars Legion podcast, uh, Beyond the First Marker. Of course, he is literally the guy I spin with when we DJ. We go back to back on sets. Drew, welcome back to Cast Ice. Thank you. It's uh it's the first time I've had my mug on here, I think. Now, it is. And Drew, I was thinking I could pull out some Star Wars trivia for us and we could embarrass everyone like we used cool. to do. Because you think, think you know what... Score. Yeah, well, I think you're well ahead of me. But um, I, I think that's a game that we can probably skip today. Ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to be talking about board games. Now, Dave, I'm actually going to hand the preamble to you because you are going to take the link of bolt action and you're going to bring us right <laughs> into board games today. Talk to us a little bit about the history of board games, because you're clearly someone who knows a little bit about the topic. Yeah, it's it's um it's a really interesting history, and and where where I became aware of it was um a lot of the board games that I first began to get interested in were um winners of the Spiel des Jahres, uh, which is the the German um, awards system for board games, um, and obviously Germany. Um, following World War II um, was uh, probably in a, in a state of sort of cultural shock. And, uh, and one of the things that was promoted um, after the war and, and, and right through the sort of 50s and 60s and 70s was um, ways of creating competition without necessarily being aggressive to each other, um, but more um, basically giving everyone the same opportunities and the same resources and see who can do the best with those um, opportunities and resources. So Euro games, which is, um, which is where I have the, the most interest in board games um, and that, that genre is about everyone having exactly the same resources, the exact same um, opportunities as each other and who was able to do the best with that at the end. Um, and that can create a really healthy competitive um, streak. Whereas on the other hand, and don't take offense to this, um, Brad, there is the Ameri trash um, version of the game, which is just 
people <laughs> at loggerheads with each other and trying to just beat each other up a little bit. So you've got Ameritrash and you've got Eurogames and I'm, I'm more of the, uh, the Eurogamer. So what are you telling me is Hungry Hungry Hippos <laughs> is not a fair... Uh, representation uh of resource management is that is that what i'm getting yeah it's not it's not the best resource management but it still goes down as one of the greatest games in history obviously i'd say it's like that takes quite a few of the euro game boxes doesn't it like in terms of like a level playing field and uh equal access to resources and all that sort of thing like there's no player elimination um i don't know maybe develop like the bestel test for um for, for euro board games I think I so. Say, hungry, hungry hippos. The more I think about it, the more fair and reasonable that game is. Um, however, <laughs> it is not good for calming your nerves, nor is it good for uh, family time generally. Now, no. board games for me, at least, started young. Um, my family did spend a lot of time traveling when I was a kid, and um, my dad did teach on U.S. military bases. And we were often living in foreign countries, in places we didn't speak the language, in a time where, you know, even VHS was rare, um, you know, videotapes. And so, you know, there wasn't a lot of entertainment other than reading. Um, and my family kind of does hugs at 50 paces. So, you know, family time is <laughs> not always great. Um, oh, it's great. But, you know, we sit in opposite sides of the room and wave at one another and that's about it. Every now and then, my dad would get a bee in his bonnet and we would pull out a board game. Now, on U.S. military bases in the 80s, there weren't a lot of great board games that you could play with your family, at least ones that my dad was likely to buy. And so he went out and bought the obligatory copy of Monopoly. Now, if you've listened to this show in the past, you know my feelings on Monopoly. I think it is quite possibly the most evil thing ever. Not quite Axis and Allies, which I love. But that always, you know, you always do the the man dance on the front lawn, so to speak, afterward, as a good friend always used to say. You always end up fighting with your friends literally halfway through that game. Monopoly is just evil and isn't fun. And I hate it. And my family <laughs> didn't get along when we played that. So my dad would actually turn the Monopoly boards over and he would draw board game maps on the back. Um, he would draw new boards and we would play other games on the back using Monopoly pieces or random bits and bobs from around the house. Um, but these were always games from other places. And one of those games will be my choice today, um, or one of my choices that I highly recommend people check out if they haven't already. But games were always an important element for us to bond as a family. Now, Drew, I know that's particularly true for you um, because I know that you often play games with your children. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I've been, look, I've been playing games with them for, for years, but I'm always on the lookout for games that are going to be kind of on a level for everyone. Uh, so that's kind of one of my picks, but I'll talk more about that later. Um, but especially over the last three years during lockdown, like spending a lot of time at home um, with the kids and looking for things to play that aren't screen-based has been... Uh, it's been something I've spent a lot of time on. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've, I've I've always been into board games, you know, as an adult, and I've been wanting to push that with my with my kids. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Nice. Now, Libby, obviously, you like to play games with your husband. You guys have uh, a good game library, and you are both 
semi slash competitive magic players. So you you do occasionally play that as well. So you I guys think, I, do I don't play think some games. Put, yeah, we do. I don't think we can put my name and competitive magic in the same sentence at the moment, but um, I have enjoyed it in the past. What I yeah, we can regionally focus on at the moment. Well, since COVID, we've been doing a lot of two-player games, um, and we did a lot of that throughout the pandemic. And I'll tell you a little bit more about what we did during the pandemic later as well. But we also, mm-hmm. um, before the before before everything got disrupted, we were running a regular fortnightly board game club, and we would generally get you know four, five, six people to come around and. We build up a, a reasonable collection of games, but I don't think any games collection is truly complete. Complete, And I'm really jealous of Dave's game collection now. So I feel like this is something that I really need to work on. It's an investment, right? It is. Hey, that is, that's precisely it. So this is, this is kind of my, my point on it is, um, you know, there's, there's that that thing that you give to your kids, right? Or that thing that passes down the generation. So like, that's what this board game collection became. You know, it's something that um, like for, for me, I don't just buy a game because there's a lot of hype around it. I want to watch... I want to watch all of the YouTube reviews. I want to watch Rado. I want to watch um, watch it played. I want to watch the Dice Tower, and I'm going to you know watch all those reviews and really pick a pick a game that I've I've studied and went. This is going to be something different, something new, and something we're going to enjoy. And then I can I know that I can pass that down to you know whenever, whenever hopefully many years from now, whenever I'm moving on, I, I, it's something to give um, you know my kids. Um, and I will tell you this: my, <laughs> they're insured separately. That's how much I've spent on board games. So they're insured separately. <laughs> That's amazing. Even my so game collection isn't insured like that. <laughs> now, if we're going to talk, you did mention board game reviews because this is something that, yes, I'm a curmudgeon and I'm old and I'm a Luddite and all of that. But in recent years, particularly during the pandemic, I often spent a lot of time watching videos of how to play games in researching how to play games for this podcast, spoilers, because sometimes, especially during pandemics, when you can't actually play with another person, it helps to see the way I learn is by watching and by doing. And when I was trying to learn games, I often watch those. Now, I do understand that that we do need to do a shout out for a favorite. Uh, I've watched many of his videos, but I don't think anyone's watched more of Rodney's videos than Libby. Libby, are we going to shout someone out on this particular episode? Yeah, we're going to shout out Rodney Smith from Watch It Played. He is my hero. <laughs> and I just, as you say, watch his videos as they come up on YouTube, see if I like the look of a game. I, I, I think games, board games are expensive, as we've just said, and mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of money to put uh, away in cardboard. So <laughs> I just think that it's I, I never go out and just buy a game because I see that it's released and it's a new one. I'm doing my research. We're looking at how it plays, that it suits our styles, and that it's something that has got a little bit of longevity there. Right on. Well said. Well, let's get into it, shall we, ladies and gentlemen? We have 12 games that we're going to recommend. Again, this is not an an exhaustive list because if we think about it, I mean, spoilers right off the bat, I know games, some classics aren't in there. In fact, there's a lot of classics that are not in there. 
Um, our list doesn't include spoilers. Um, Settlers of Catan. It doesn't have Arkansas. Doesn't have uh, God. So many games. Dominion. There are a lot of great games that we are not going to talk about today. And yes, there's just too many that we can talk about. It's almost like the beginning of this podcast. But we're going to recommend some for you. Now, some of these will be very obvious. And you'll know them and you'll roll your eyes and say, of course, we know that game. Some of these may not. So bear with us. These are some recommendations that we have for you. Now, we're going to start at three levels. One, you know, some pretty basic, simple stuff. Might be good for children or for people who, you know, we like to sometimes call them normies. People who don't really get into games, um, like my dad, he's not a big gamer. However, I introduced him to a couple of games, some of which went really well, some of them went really poorly. So round one is the simpler game systems. Round two, we're going to get a little bit more complex. Round three, things are going to get a little deep. Does that mean that you can't introduce you know, non-gaming friends to round three? Absolutely not. It depends on the game, depends on the person, depends on what they're interested in. But we thought we'd throw out some recommendations for you. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it. Round one, keeping things simple. Libby, you are taking us out. Tell us a little bit about Splendor. So I've had Splendor for a few years now, and it's one of those games that's very easy to teach people who have never played games before. It's a lot about a, a lot about resource accumulation. So you've got gems that are represented by chips, and the chips feel very similar to casino chips. So they've got a bit of weight mm -hmm. to them. They feel really good in the hand, and they're just they're just nice to hold. You use these gems that you gain each turn to then buy wealth, and as you accumulate and buy wealth, the you can then buy more wealth and use your existing purchases to help you acquire more more products. So it's definitely about resource accumulation and then you've got a number of different win conditions that are generally based on reaching X victory points. So it's a uh, very, very simple, colourful and reasonably straightforward. And it's a short game, right? It's not something that's going to take up your whole evening. No, it's, this is one of the reasons why I like it. It's only 30 minutes and I'm a bit of a fan, as I've said, of Board Game Geek. It's rated 126 on Board Game Geek. So not really high up there, but, uh, but fairly high. It's also in the last couple of months released a, a, a second version called Splendid Jewel. Now this is purely for two players only. And I've been playing a lot of this and I've actually just lent it to a friend of ours. So I haven't played it for a few weeks now, but it's the original game is not, is not great for two players, but this is perfect for two players. Obviously it's built for them and it just adds just enough depth to the game to keep it nice and simple still yet interesting enough for two players. That's cool. That's cool. And I did just see when I was researching this, that they actually came out with a Marvel version as well. Um, that has Thanos on the front with the uh, Infinity Stones. So, you know, nothing like a little uh, Disney cross promotion, right? Uh, fantastic. I have seen this around for years. I've never played it. I definitely, we need to play this. Uh, this sounds great. Um, Dave or Drew, do you have any Splendor experience? 
Yeah, um, so I've probably had a similar sort of um, length of time to to what Libby has said, um, and it's just uh, it's one of those games that is it's it, you, you can teach it within about sort of five minutes, and then you're just you're locked in and you know what you're doing. And you're trying to, um, uh, as Libby says, accumulate as, as many um, as many of those gems as possible, so that you can buy um, more and more victory points for yourself, and uh, and then try to hit that score. The, the funny thing about this game as well is you really have to pay attention to what your opponent's doing because you might think that you're having the best of time and you're you're really making things work and you've got a good engine built for yourself and then <laughs> your opponent turns around and says oh the game's finished now because they just won so it's one of those ones that can kind of sneak up and, and grab you Libby that reminds me a little bit like the uh, was it tuna boat game the sushi game that oh, we were magic playing? horror yeah that 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 was my experience with that. I was like, oh, I've got this great. I'm, I think I figured this out. And then the game was over before I realized it and went, no. Yeah, so. it was actually a big decision for me to either choose Blend Splendor or Machikoro. And mm. I went with Splendor because it has the the dual option. Yeah. It, it is a separate game, but um, same mechanics. Yeah, brilliant. And guys, as we go through, I'm going to ask each time if anyone else has played it on the cast and we'll just keep adding because I know they'll get to certain games where we've all played them. So uh, <laughs> there will be plenty of those coming up. Libby, thank you very much. Dave. Oh, actually, Drew, we are going to play Lumina, <laughs> the search for lightning bugs. Ah, so first thing, first thing, sort of full disclosure, this is a children's game. Um, I can't remember the recommended age, but it's something like four or five, maybe. But the reason I included it here is um, is just is because this is probably the first game where I could play without pulling any punches against my kids at that age and still sort of have an, have a, a fair chance with them. And that's because the game is based on probably everyone's least favorite mechanic and one you don't see very often in board games. Uh, other than kids' games, it's memory-based. So um, uh, you're you're essentially moving around this island, and uh, on the map are a few dozen uh, points that you can go to, um, and about five of them at any given time uh, have a token on them, and you're trying to get to those tokens and and collect them. To move around the board, uh, you simply have to look at which um, which locations are adjacent to you, and then flip the tile that has that lo location on it. Uh, if you get it right, you can move there. If you get it wrong, then you're stuck where you are. So it's a, it's a simple game, but um, there are a few decisions to make uh, about like what path you're going to take and what you think is risky. Uh, there's a little bit of risk versus reward just in terms of what you think you can remember. Um, but because it is memory-based, it means that I can compete at the same level as my kids because my memory is rubbish at times and there's uh there's can be surprisingly good and there'll be times where i'm still trying to you know figure out where this last lo location is which tile it's under and then one of my kids has their turn and they're just like dash halfway across the map and pick up a token and i'm left behind so Brilliant. um yeah it's a fun game it doesn't take too long it, it doesn't uh it it It'll entertain the kids. Well, sorry, it, it doesn't. Uh, they won't lose um, attention uh, after too long. And yeah, that's why I liked it. We played this a lot during uh, during the lockdowns. Um, 
So I have fun memories of it. It's also really nice and colorful. And I know a lot of board games are colorful, but this is kid colorful. Now, having played Candyland with your children, Drew, uh, <laughs> that game is, you know, rainbow throw up on a board colorful and not in a good way. And it is not a deep and meaningful game. It's just, you know, rolling and then randomly moving forward. It's a little bit like shoots and ladders where you end up is where you end up. There's very little skill. It's more of just grinding through the mechanics. There's no decisions to make in that game yeah. in Candyland, but I, I'd say you do make some decisions in Lamina. They're not, they're not heavy or complex decisions, but there are some. But I would prefer uh, playing this over Candyland every day of the week. So if you have kids, uh, or you just have a short attention span and you you like memory games. Sounds like Lumen is the game for you. Yeah. Right on. That's it. If, if you're not if you're not expecting to play with kids, I wouldn't go out and buy this. But um, if you do have young kids, uh, then it could be a bit of fun for you. Nice. No one else has played this. No. <laughs> Dave, welcome to. Yes, welcome to. Um, so this is uh, this is a game that um, during during lockdown, um, because you, you obviously couldn't meet up with people, um, a lot of us migrated onto um, Board Game Arena, um, which was um, a website that automated all of these sort of top tier board games and made it very simple to um you know meet up with people from all around the world and, and play and we actually had a friend who had recently moved back to the uk and we'd we'd catch up in the morning or the, or the evening time to get the time zone right and we'd play different games and, and this one came up through there um so essentially it's a you're kind of 1950s america uh, welcome to um you know the the new um the new neighborhood that's being built and uh, you've got three streets um for your neighborhood to be um built and it's it's basically a flip and right so there's three decks of cards you're going to um pull over the top card of all three decks and it's going to give you a, a house number and a special action um linked to that number um, you then have to put the number of that um uh, of, of that that's just been turned on one of your streets and then do the action that's um that's associated with that you have to try and get the numbers in numerical order. Um, so you can, if you put number one in the middle of your street, you're, you, you've just caused yourself a major problem. You want the one to be down at the, the beginning and you want 15 to be up at the top. The actions that you get out of it are, you know, you can build parks in your street, you can build swimming pools in your street, um, you can put fences around um, some of your um, houses to, um, get you to qualify for end game bonuses um and uh, it's just a really a really simple game it's just everyone has the same opportunity the same three cards to choose from and you might all choose the same card but you might put that number or that um special action in a completely different um place and um at the end of the the game you then tally up how many points you scored for for each of the the actions and whoever got the most points wins and it's, it's interesting because I'm pretty sure the the head count is one to fifty. Yeah. <laughs> so you can, so it's, it's it's weird because essentially they give you a booklet with fifty um, neighborhoods. So what they're saying is you could give everyone uh, every one of those fifty uh, pieces of paper out to fifty different players, and you could theoretically all play it together. That does my head in. I mean, I, yeah. I have a hard time dealing with games like more than three people like that. Yeah. 
So I we we always play this as as a, as a two player or or maybe like a three or four player, and we we just took one of the the sheets and we laminated them. So we're just using you know dry white markers on them to um, make it a bit easier. Um, but yeah, very 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 simple game. Everyone's doing the same thing. There's no attacking each other. There's no um, there's nothing sort of overly competitive about it. It's just who can do the best. Exactly. Now I'm assuming no one else is. Libby, no. Drew, no. I have not played this game. Um, it does look fun. It is another short game. I noticed that in the simple games, we all brought shorter games, but me, uh, which I'll get to in a sec. But um, yeah, short, sweet, and fun is where we're going with this. With my game, I talked about something that's a little bit older. And by that, I mean it's really old. I think it's from the 1940s or possibly even before. It's a game called Parcheesi. And it is my dad's favorite. And I don't mean to keep talking about my dad in this particular case, but I just came back from visiting with my parents, spent a lot of time talking with my father. And while we were back, we talked about Parcheesi. And a couple of years ago, um, my brother-in-law, my father and I were out in Iowa and it was evening and um, grandma doesn't have cable and we didn't really feel like watching. Uh, I believe it was Matlock. So uh, my dad literally did his old trick from when we were growing up in Japan and he found my grandmother's copy of Monopoly. He pulled it out. He flipped it over. He got out a ruler and a coffee can and a permanent marker and he created a Parcheesi board. Um, I pulled up the, the rules on Wiki and I realized that we've been playing it slightly wrong the entire time we'd ever played it. Um, but more in rules. Rules, I suppose. And we played those and then we played the real rules and it was a lot of fun. Parcheesi is a game that is very similar to the board game that you might have grown up with called Sorry. Now, Sorry is a much nicer way of trying to say Parcheesi. As a kid, I mispronounced the hell out of this name. Um, but the way it works is you have a cross going down the middle of the board and everyone's got a, like a little starting place that they start, like a little um, safety area. And they have four pieces that they have to get around the cross and they have to go basically up one side, down the other for each leg of the cross. And then at the end, they go up the middle of the cross closest to their starting point. Um, so basically they go all the way around the board, then up this special ramp and it takes them into what we called when I was a kid, heaven. And then they were safe. And you have to get all four of your pieces into heaven, uh, before your opponents. Now, if you land on your opponent's pieces, they are knocked out and they go back to their starting point. But what makes Parcheesi different from Sorry, at least from memory, is that you can stop on different points and you're safe. And if you land on them, you can then stop and hold and no one else can pass you. And so you can create a log jam and then try and get all your other pieces up. But if you do that, then everyone else is going to be lined up behind you and your last piece is going to get stomped on. And so there's a little bit of strategy as far as that goes. Plus, you don't want to be that guy. It is a lot of fun. Um, it is a little bit of a screw you game in the nicest way possible, but in a family friendly way, you could probably play this with your kids. I mean, my parents did and it didn't have any negative effects. Huh. Um, but yeah, highly recommend Parcheesi. If you've never seen it, it's at least worth looking at the board. It's fun. Um, yeah, it's not too hard. It is definitely a game that you could play with normies. And uh, I think it's a game for normies by normies. So Definitely recommend it. 
Well, as we get to round two, we are going to get into more titles that we've all played and that you, the listener, might know more because uh, we got all, I think, got a little obscure with round one. But let's get into round two where we're getting a little bit more challenging. Libby, talk to us a little bit about Wingspan <laughs> because it is on the shelf of every game store I walk into these days. It seems it to be is, the hot. And it deserves to be there, Brad. So it's number 25 on board game geeks are ranked very highly mm-hmm. not sure when it was produced or when it was released um but it's made by designed by elizabeth hargrave and she's obviously a bit of a bird fan so the game is you have a board where you have three habitats habitats of forest uh grassland and a swamp or water and it's your goal is to play as many birds as possible uh, into this and create, and each bird has some victory points. The, they eat certain foods, which can be obtained from a bird feeder. Special call out to the bird feeder, which is uh, hard cardboard. It gets built up. It looks like a little bird tower, and you put your dice in the top, and they roll through and come out on the feeder. <laughs> and, and and over the course of the game, you build this engine. So each of the birds have uh, a little um i suppose rule on them and and they activate each turn or they can activate and it's about um looking at what your opponents are doing with their birds and putting birds in place that um benefit from that or just you have your own little thing going on so you can do do what you'd like to do or interact as much as possible with your opponents so one of the, the main features that I like about this game is, of course, the bird art. The illustration is beautiful. Uh, they've got a little bit of a trivia on, on each of the birds. They've got their common name and their scientific name on each of the cards mm-hmm. and, and, and where they're native to as well. So uh, not that I'm into bird watching, but I do follow the Wingspan Facebook page. And so many people started playing Wingspan and then moved into bird watching. Um, not for me, but it's definitely an easy game to start playing as well. So it, it's more complex. It's a little bit longer. It takes 40 to 70 minutes. But what I really like that they've done is when you are the new player, they give you a page that has your first four to five turns outlined. So you just, and and all of the reasoning for that. So you just follow what the game tells you to do and then it it builds you up with enough confidence or you could just watch Rodney Smith but it it, or both. It would even probably be the best way to go about it. And and so I I asked a friend who played it for the first time last week with us. I said, how did you find it? And he said, very, very easy to learn. So that's, um, he's a bit of a board gamer though. Uh, the other thing that I'd like to just note about this game is it's got a number of different expansions. So the original base game is a lot of birds from North America. They've released a European expansion, Oceana, which has birds from Australia, and they've added a new food type. I haven't actually played that expansion yet. I've got it, but I haven't played it because I'm trying to play the base game with a few more people before I add that in because... There's a lot of bird cards, and when you add them in, it's then a lot of effort to take them out. Mm-hmm. So the, they've also just released the Asian expansion last month, and I 
was asking for it for Christmas from about four weeks out, but my husband had already wrapped it up and had it on the shelf six weeks out. So somebody knows me very well, which is nice. So I know he's done well. So the Asian expansion also has a duet, a duet mode, which is the two player version of the game. So the cards from the Asian expansion can be added into the main game. All of the, all of the expansions can be mixed up and played together. And uh, you can also use the Asian expansion just to play a two-player version as well. And so I'm a bit obviously careful with my two-player games. And I found that it, similar to Splendid Jewel, uh, adds just enough depth that you can still enjoy the main game mechanics, but uh, it's more more enjoy it. It's more enjoyable playing as a two-person game. Right on. Now, Dave, you were nodding at this earlier. Is this a game you've played? Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's just a it's just a beautiful game. <laughs> like, there's no other way to describe it. As in, like, you know, the, the artwork on it. And um, I I used to be fascinated. I'm going to sound like a geek here, but um, I used to be fascinated by encyclopedias whenever I was a kid. Like the graphical ones where you had all these kind of you know really um you know good images on it. And I can remember this this book of birds, uh, bird encyclopedia. And this this game is like a it's like a carbon copy of that. The the artwork is just it's as close to life as you can get. Um, and again, it's really easy to teach. So the, the company that produced this, Stonemeyer Games, they produced um, Scythe uh, is another one of their games. Charterstone is another one. And uh, the other one I've got as well is, um, oh, the name's going out of my head, but they're, 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 all of their games are just incredibly uh, well put together. And uh, another mention as well, one of the guys from Stonemeyer Games, um, I'm pretty sure he's one of the, the owners, his name's Jamie Stegmeyer. He has his own YouTube channel and he doesn't have any sort of flashy lights or anything. He just jumps on and talks about what his favorite mechanics are of games and then highlights some games that um, that he likes to play and that have had uh, an input into or an effect on, on game mechanics he's put into his own games. So yeah, they just they always put together some really good games. That's awesome, man. And Libby, you're a fan of Scythe as well, right? Uh, yes, I am a fan of Scythe. I don't get to play it as much as I'd like, but we do have it, and and we have the expansion. I find it very enjoyable too. It's that's as if I would rate that as fairly complex Scythe. Yeah, that that didn't look as, and I don't want to say this looks simple, but that does not look as quote unquote simple as this. Um, this looks probably my perfect speed. Well, one of the, so I'll just make one more comment. Sorry, Brad. No, is that it has, it's made up of four rounds and at, at the end of each round, you get to measure a bonus and bonus for some bonus points. But in doing so, you use your action cubes to mark how many bonus points you've achieved. So then the next round, you've got less, you've got one less turn and then one less turn after that. And so as the game gets more and more complex the, or, or long, each turn gets longer, the, you have fewer turns. So it doesn't feel like it drags. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right on. Yeah, because some board games definitely get grindy, don't they? But this, it's nice that these don't. Well, right on. Dave? Talk to us about the Lords of Vegas. Lords of Vegas. This uh, this is a game that I think my dog hates because my dog gets super worked up if I get worked up. So this is this is a game that makes me stand up and get really just get really get really energetic and into it. And then that, that sort of sets off my dog and he's over beside me, kind of you know wanting to know what's wrong. So th- this is literally Vegas in a box. Um, so. 
essentially what, what you're what you're doing is you're going to start off with um, a car park. All right. And you're going to then turn that car park into a casino and you're going to pick a color for that casino. Um, and every round, a card is going to get um, revealed. And if you're if the card revealed matches the uh, the color of your casino, then you're going to score some points and you're going to you're going to earn some cash. Um, and then what's going to happen is as the game continues, you're not going to be able to score or increase your score by just one point. You're going to be needing to score a minimum of two points and then a minimum of three points and then a minimum of four points. So you're going to have to expand and make your casino bigger and better to score the points that you need to win the game. Um, so that causes some conflict uh, and it also causes some pretty sneaky moves where um, say I'm a, a purple casino and uh, beside me is a silver casino. What I can do is I can turn my casino uh, into a silver casino and all of a sudden I own the silver casino beside me um, that somebody has worked very hard on. So um, it's 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 pretty uh, it's pretty underhanded in how you can uh, you can win this game. It's not for the the faint-hearted, but it is a very simple game at its at its core. It, yeah, I was going to say this does definitely has shades of screw you mechanics in it. That um, yeah, yeah, you want to be careful. But I do love a game that says uh, Frank Sinatra on it. So you know, yeah. So I'm I, I when I'm describing this game to people, I say it's Monopoly on performance enhancing drugs. Um, because that, that's probably the the, the the best way to describe it, um, because you, you're you're claiming a spot. Um, and, and one of the one of the kind of good things about it is and a lot of these games like Monopoly, somebody can run away with the lead. So you know, a couple of turns into the game, somebody's sitting there saying, oh, I couldn't be bothered playing anymore because you know, I, I'm, I'm out of the game. Every single round, no matter who's, which player's turn it is, everybody earns money based on the car parks they own and the casinos that they own that match the color that's just been revealed. So everyone is kind of kept together and somebody can come from the back and win it or somebody can kind of just keep ahead of everybody for the whole game. There's there's lots of different ways it's panned out. Um, and this is one that um, I personally feel like I'm an expert um, and, and, and I'm, I'm somebody who, who wins this game pretty frequently. I don't know what that says about me, but... Note to self, don't play Lords of Vegas with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> right on um anyone else have comments about this game because i'd never heard of it but it looks like a lot of fun although the monopoly comparison definitely starts me to <laughs> gives me some some worries there's um uh there, there's a couple of reviews on uh, on on youtube that you can watch um uh i can't remember it's the the there's a channel with um the, the guy who used to be in star trek next generation I can't remember his name. That, yes, yes, that's the one. Yep. So he he has a, a board game review that I don't think they do it anymore, but he reviews this game, and that's a really good um, advertisement of how the game plays out. It's a really, really good version of it. Nice. I have to check that out. I do like Will Wheaton stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let's talk about the Rolling Verse and get into Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle Defense Against the Dark Arts card game. Yes, that is a giant mouthful. Um, I do like Harry Potter. I read it to my students all the time. Drew, this looks very cool. Tell me about this two-player competitive deck building game. Yeah. Um, I believe it is like a spin-off of a of a like a four-player game like but but it's not actually like it's not it's not expansion um i've had people in shops try to tell me it is an expansion um but i knew better 
So it's a standalone game. It's for two players, um, and it's a deck builder. So probably probably we'll make a few comparisons to Dominion here. Um, but it's not the same. Uh, it's not just Dominion with the Harry Potter skin. Um, there's, a, there's a little bit of a different bent to it here. So um, again, I'll probably compare it more to Dominion, um, and hopefully people have played that. Uh, in Dominion, you have um, a dozen or so different types of card that you can buy into your deck and build and sort of start to form a strategy around. Whereas in this game, you have all the cards um, potentially available to you at any point during the, or at some point during the game. Um, so there's a, there's a classroom and cards kind of cycle through it as they're, as they're purchased and added to people's decks. Um, and that starts to flavor your deck. Um, you start off using a house, um, and one of the cool things I liked about this game is that, um, particularly again, playing with my kids, um, you'd expect that everyone wants to be Gryffindor or everyone wants to be Slytherin. Um, and it includes two of every house so that every player can choose the house they want to be. So it can both be Slytherin if they want. Um, mm-hmm. But the premise here is that you're just two kids in your defense against the Dark Arts class um, and you're having a, a practice duel. Um, if you if you know the lore at all, the premise doesn't quite work because you can start pulling out, um, you can start pulling out like crucio curses or um, have Dumbledore sort of rock up and just stand next to you and start assisting you in this practice duel. Um, so it doesn't quite work uh, in that sort of description. Um, you know, in that you'd go to like wizard prison if you pulled out those sorts of curses uh, and never come out. But they're cool in this game. It's all right. Um, but so I think for me, um, probably the, the how I'd sort of differentiate this from like playing Dominion with two players, for example, is that in in Dominion you see which cards are available and you can sort of start to form a strategy if you know the cards well enough. You can start to form a strategy pretty early on and then sort of start working towards that strategy and hopefully it plays out. Whereas in this game you have the same starting deck as your opponent. Um, and to begin with, you can only buy cheap cards. And so your deck's not going to really differentiate itself that much from the opponents, but um, eventually you're going to start to flavor your deck. Um, and the, the trick here is to sort of keep it, uh, keep an eye on what your opponent's picking up. Uh, and because every card could potentially come in to the game, you can't really have a strategy too much going into it, but you can start to develop the strategy based on what cards are in play and what the mix is. And then sort of starting building decks to mitigate what what's happening. Um, each house does have a slight um, preference for certain spells and, and items, but you can pick up allies who can give you access to those houses' um, uh, abilities as well. Nice. Um, yeah, and so you... Yeah, you kind of just you, you trade blows back and forth, and you're trying to sort of push each other off the ends of this carpet. Um, and then if you push your opponent off the end of the carpet, you win the round, and first to three wins uh, wins the game. And, and you keep your deck from round to round, so your deck gets bigger and bigger. Nice. Now, Dave, you were nodding earlier. Is that because you've played the four-player version of this game? Yeah, it was. It's funny because um, it was only whenever. Um, uh, Drew had put it on to the, our Facebook chat that I realized it wasn't an expansion and it was a separate game because um, the Hogwarts battle, which I'm pretty sure is it's um, it's been 
uh, put together by the same company, so I think it looks yeah. very similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's again, it's a it's a deck building game. It's about buying uh, different items or or spells or um, people to assist you in your battling. But whenever things get reduced down to a two player um, version, it's it, it usually makes it a really streamlined version of that bigger game and, and a lot quicker and a lot easier to play. So I'm probably mm. going to pick this up because I, I know that it's a game that, that we really enjoyed, even at that four player. Nice. It, it, like once, once both players know what they're doing, like any deck builder, you know, you you, you go through the motions. Um, it's this game's quite unrestricted, un, unrestricted in terms of what you can do in your turn. You can basically just play any cards in any order. There's no, there's no sort of limit one action per turn unless you have cards that give you more. You can just play all your cards in any order. Um, so it's quite simple and streamlined in that regard. But yeah, it, it's from from what you said. I haven't actually played the four player version, but um, it sounds like the mechanics are very similar. But yeah, yeah. instead of a four player co op, it's a two player um, competitive. Well, let's go on to a game that I think all of us have played. Oh nope, I'm off around a game that I've never heard of. Um, Quacks of Friedlandberg. <laughs> uh, Dave, you had an honorable mention that you wanted to sneak in before mine, and that's why I'm yeah. Here. Dave, I've never heard of this game. It looks <laughs> fun, though. What is this? So I, I, why I struggled to just pick one was because one was very competitive and, and I wanted one that was more um, more, more sort of uh, carefree and a bit more accommodating to all players. So Quacks of Quedlinburg is, is um, basically a push-your-luck game where you're going to fill a bag with ingredients um and you are obviously a wizard or a quack and you're you're going to be you have your little pot and you're going to be pulling out ingredients and you're going to be placing them in your pot um there's some white tokens in your bag that you start the game with as soon as you get to um uh, above seven of those white tokens in your pot your pot explodes um, and it, it has some bad ramifications for you as a player. So um, the ramifications are you have to make a choice. Are you going to take the victory points or are you going to take some coins to buy new ingredients? Um, whereas if your pot didn't explode, then you would be able to get the victory points and the new ingredients. Um, so there's some really, uh, really, really easy mechanics behind it. Um, it's, it's really fun. And the best bit about this game is... Uh, especially if you've finished and you've decided, no, I'm not going to push my luck anymore. Just looking around the table <laughs> and seeing people just questioning, should I take out one more? And they're trying to calculate how many how many tokens have I got left in the bag? How many of them are white? Or okay, I've got a one in four chance. And of course, they'll pull out the white that, that makes them explode. So um, really good fun. The good thing as well with this game is it comes with um, a lot of variety of the ingredients. So they, it, the um, ingredients have four different versions of themselves which gives you a bit of a, a change um, every time you play it um, and there's also some event cards that change up what's going to happen during each round of play but just really fun I, I would say this is suitable for for multiple ages and a really good way to introduce people to, to some fun board games as well definitely yeah it looks great and the reason I stuck it after the wizarding game is because I thought it was a nice segue going from uh, proper wizards to quacks. So there you go. <laughs> now the game that I think we've all played to death um, is my choice, Ticket to Ride. It is one of my favorite board games. I absolutely adore this game. It is a game, uh, if you have not ever heard of it, 
Uh, it's by Days of Wonder. It's done the rounds. There's a million expansions to this game, and I will talk about my favorite in a second. But if you go with the base game, or at least the, the most common base game that I've seen, has a map of the United States, and there's different train routes across the U.S. that crisscross all over the place. And you are playing a railway baron, and you're trying to make your own lines to connect cities. And you have objective cards that you flip over, um, sorry, that you collect. And at the end of the game, you flip over and you need to connect the cities on those cards. There is some choice about which routes you you're able to take. Um, but then it's a who's going to make the who's going to make as many of their routes as they can before someone runs out of trains. And the longer the trains you put down, the, the bigger the score um, and so the person with the highest score at the end of the game is the winner. And there's a lot of different ways that you can score points. I really love this game. Um, it's got elements of a little bit of screw you if you get in people's way and you can sometimes intentionally get in people's way. But oftentimes you're just trying to get through it yourself. And in the process, you step on someone else's toes, especially if there's a lot of people playing. I love this game. I think it especially sings with three to four players. Um, having just played it um, when I was back in the States, I was reminded just how much I enjoyed it. And this is a game that I actually bought for my father, who's not a board gamer, and he loved it too. Uh, for my birthday this year, though, I was given Ticket to Ride Japan, which is an expansion to the basic game. You do need the basic game to play it, but it does give you a map of Japan um, because Japan, obviously, is islands. Um, it actually involves ferries as well. There's bullet trains and, oh, actually ferries might be a different expansion, but bullet trains is a really nice expansion to this. Um, the mechanics of the game plus because Tokyo is such a, uh, dense metropolitan area. It's as far as I know, one of the only places in the ticket to ride game systems where it is actually not just the whole country on a map a city is blown up out of it. And as I grew up in Japan, in particular, I'm a Tokyo boy. It's really fun for me to then be like, oh, I used to live there and make little trains in that particular spot. So I highly recommend Ticket to Ride Japan if you have played Ticket to Ride and you really like it. The flip side of it is Ticket to Ride Italy. It is the same box on the other side of the board. You flip it over, it's got a different board. It is very different mechanics. It feels very different. I think that's where the fairies come in, and it is a lot of fun as well. Highly recommend. Libby, you have not only played a lot of Ticket to Ride, you've played Ticket to Ride Japan and Italy with me. So what do you think, uh, Ticket to Ride in general or the expansions? You have the really nice, fancy version of the game, and I have the really basic version. Um, what are your experiences with this game? Do you like it? Uh, I like it. It's I don't love it. Uh, I I think it's a really good game to play, as you say, with a, a larger number of people. Um, and I, I it's a fun one. And I like that you I like the aspect of you can either focus on your own goals and objectives or be a little bit sneaky. And I think over in the far east of the US or on, on one edge of it, there's a few little mm -hmm. uh, choke points. And if you're really sneaky, you can just put your trains there and try and cut people off. Uh, so it's it's easy to play. It's I think it's a great one to introduce. I've got very fond memories of playing this game, having lunch, having people over, 
and and having a ball playing this game. Yeah, it's by the way, it's Nashville. In case you're wondering, um, that screw <laughs> you point in the game. <laughs> can, can I can I chime in? Like I, I also bought this for my parents um, for probably similar reasons to you, and yeah, had a lot of fun playing with. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, point out two expansions here. One is the uh, the big card expansion. Just if you don't like playing with with the little cards, um, there's an expansion which just has all the same cards as the base game, but it's sort of normal playing card size. That's um, cool. And if it seems too dry for you, there's also the the, the monsters and alien expansion, which just adds some uh, some wackiness to it. What? I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> you get this little um, Godzilla and flying saucer, which uh, they mess with the game in some way. But yeah, what <laughs> it takes it takes what's a very very balanced game to <laughs> add some uh, some wackiness to it. I I I'm gonna look that up the second we stop recording today. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't think I've actually played that with the expansion, but I have it. Oh. We're do- we're doing this, Drew. Yes, right away. <laughs> I mean, Dave, I'm assuming if you've played a, a lot of the other games that you've mentioned that you've played Ticket to Ride as well. Yeah, so I've got Ticket to Ride Europe, um, which uh, I think overall probably is the is the most um, the most popular ju- just to, among the sort of base audience of this game. But it's just it's just a classic game, you know. There's uh, my my wife has a very um, specific talent of just hoarding all of the colors you just look over and she's got like a full fan of cards and she hasn't put any trains down yet and you're going when is she going to mm-hmm. when is she going to pull the trigger and then all of a sudden it's you know it's bang and you're like oh. so yeah yep. there's, there's definitely some different tactics to this game i actually did that for the very first time a couple of weeks ago playing with my brother-in-law who is a notorious competitive board gamer and um i i put down a couple of things here and there and he was like, oh, I have all these trains down, da, da, da. And he was talking a lot of smack. And meanwhile, the fan was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then just went, that's six trains. That's six trains. That's yeah. four trains. That's three trains. And he's like, what, 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 what? And I was like, nope. I've gone across the southern United States. Deal with it. And the game's over. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Love it. Yep. Well, before we get to round three, I do want to go off on a little bit of a tangent because uh, board games, while not my entry into gaming in general, are often the vehicle that a lot of us do get into tabletop games through. It's sort of the entry drug, so to speak. Um, And there's two games in particular that I really want to mention. One is a game that is really, really old. Um, and I had it, and my grandmother picked it up at a yard sale in Iowa, and I also picked it up somewhere in Boston. I, I had friends that all had this game, and we played the hell out of it when I was a kid. It was a very early dungeon crawler called Dungeon. And it was by TSR, and it was a game for two to, I believe it was eight players, It was ages eight and up, and I was definitely playing it at eight. And I always loved that they said it was 30 to 60 minutes, and I don't think I ever played this game in anything less than two hours because it was just dungeon crawling all the time. And you started by, you start in the middle of the dungeon, and then as you work your way out, which is the center of the board, 
you you move your pieces up and down hallways, in and out of trap doors, through secret doors, um, around traps, into different rooms. And as you explore, you end up fighting monsters and collecting treasure if you kill those monsters. And um, you can get magic abilities, uh, magic items, scrolls. Uh, there's all sorts of cool things that you can find while you're battling monsters. And um, each color set of rooms gets harder. So you start at level one and you work your way up, I think, to level eight in this game. Um, but the, the monsters get scarier the, the higher level you go. The treasures get bigger. Um, so the rewards are greater, but you need to sort of level your characters up to even get there in the first place. And you do that by collecting treasure, by shooting other monsters and increasing your own experience level. And it was a game that you can have different classes. You could have a paladin or an elf or a thief. And it was just a lot of fun. It was like D&D Lite by the people who made D&D. Um, and while I was already playing Dungeons & Dragons, I actually really love this game. Just as a fun game on the table. And it has been reprinted a number of times. I know I've seen it fairly recently in a game store. I was really happy to see that it still existed in the universe. It is sort of the TSR version of um, Warhammer Quest or what I think that is the game. Hero Quest? Hero Quest, yeah. Warhammer Quest and Hero Quest, also very similar games. This is another third game in that it doesn't have miniatures. It is little either game pieces or little cutouts, but a similar game. It's probably easier than Hero Quest to introduce to children, um, but it is a lot of fun. Um, I haven't played it since I was a kid, so don't sue me if it's not a ton of fun, but it is a great entry level game. And that takes us into, in my opinion, the greatest entry-level game of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, Talisman. I have played the hell out of this game more than almost any other board game ever. There have been many versions of it. I've owned several. They had tons of expansions that expand out the board. But basically, the base game is it's a circular board, and you're trying to go around the outside, and you you, you choose a... A character, you could be a troll or a hero, like a, a fighter, or there's all sorts of different characters. There are dozens of expansions. They're, they're like yeah. Yeah. so many. There's so many of them. Um, but as you travel around the outside, um, again, you gain experience, you gain treasure, you get weapons, and you get stronger and stronger. And then at, once you feel like you're stronger enough, you go to the next inner ring um, towards the center of the board. And then the, things get a lot harder there. You're damaged more often. The monsters get tougher. And then once you've properly leveled up, you go to the center of the board. And there, again, there's another little track to go through. And you have to try and beat all of those challenges. And once you do, you basically become a god or some sort of the, the master of the land. And you win the game. And then everyone else um, you know, has to bow to you or something. Um, I love this game. I played the ton out of it. There's so many expansions. Um, there are expansions that change what happens when you get to the middle and how you interact with the other players. There's uh, the city expansion where it gives you a little sideboard or a dungeon expansion that gives you a sideboard. That are there you can four, add to four separate corners? Like you can, yeah, they, you can add they on. tack on. Yeah. So that makes the board huge. Um, there's a bazillion characters they've added to this over the years, depending on the edition, even down to like 
having a Time Lord or a Space Marine. Like you name it, they've added it. Uh, it is a wonderful game. And now there are different flavors of Talisman out there. I saw Warhammer 40,000 Talisman. And I think I saw a Harry Potter Talisman. There are some crazy Talisman games out there. But just as a basic game, I loved playing this as a kid. Again, it was a wonderful gateway for me to the Warhammer world um, because I discovered it shortly thereafter where I discovered Warhammer as a concept and as an IP universe way back when, and I loved it. So that's me. Anyone else my, have any experience? My fond memories, memories of this game are just like whenever you're anywhere near finishing, everyone just starts dumping on you and you you quickly sort of get cut back down. You really need to... Uh, you really need to uh, sort yourself out before you start going for that middle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I Drew, maybe it's just me, but for this game, I always thought that you want to add all the extra cards, like the character cards and all the extra adventure cards to the basic board. But the second you started putting all the other boards in, the game got way too long and unwieldy and just got weird. Um, I thought it was always best to play with the basic board. I know that that might be an unpopular opinion, a hot take. It's fun to get all the experiences out, but I can I can only remember doing that once, and it it seemed like a long a long game. It was a long night. Mm-hmm. It's fun, but you got to have the time and energy. Exactly. Uh, Libby, have you played Talisman? No, I've never even heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> It's a thing. I don't even I mean, know yeah. how I earned my ticket here. Uh, I'm not uh, sure how I'm qualified. Sorry. <laughs> maybe, maybe um, you're actually uh, you, you're at such a high level of board games that this is too far beneath you. That's what it is. We'll go with that. Thanks, Dave. Dave is not wrong. <laughs> this is definitely not high concept board gaming here. It's yeah. firmly in the Ameritrash end of the spectrum, yeah? Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, it's funny because um, I think the reason that I didn't really become aware of this um, game whenever I was a kid was because of uh, Hero Quest. And the, with Hero Quest, so I, I was never bought Hero Quest. And my best friend, who is still, I'd still say he's my best friend, even though he's back in Northern Ireland, and we've, we've known each other for, for, for like 30-odd years. He um, he had Hero Quest. He was, he was like a... He might as well have been a single child. He was he was very young compared to his, his siblings. So mom and dad just got him everything. He had Hero Quest, and he would he would treat it as this mythical um, object that you know you had to earn the right to play it with him. <laughs> so for me, it was like Hero Quest was like the main game. I had to play that game, you know. So that maybe that made me blind to Talisman. See, I didn't play Hero Quest because I played Talisman. So mm-hmm. I'm the flip side of that coin. There you go. We've all we've all ended up in the same place, though. So that's right. <laughs> well, let's speaking of same places, let's talk about some games that many of us have all played, and they are all the games that we recommend that might be a little bit more complex. Um, now, these are all games that I think we'll all know, uh, but let's talk about what they are and why we recommend them. Libby, speaking of Hero Quest. This is the perfect analogy for me for that. The modern equivalent, which has way more pieces. Talk to us about Gloomhaven. I don't even I don't even know where to begin. Maybe I'll begin with the fact that it's number one on Board Game Geek. So we couldn't do a board games podcast without uh dropping that. It's mm-hmm. and it deserves to be there, in my opinion. I it's 
you tell a story, you're a team of mercenaries, you're on a quest to, oh, it's a while since I've done the game, this story, but you, you basically have to kill the boss monster at the end, but you have to play <laughs> 70 or 80 scenarios to finally get to this big boss monster at the end. And it's, the Gloomhaven was best played with three to four people and it's an almost choose-your-own-adventure game. Each sit-down scenario that you play would take between 60 minutes to two hours to get through, depending upon how crazy the users got. And it, it was a really good way for a year or two. I had people over on a Tuesday night. We had dinner. We were playing Gloomhaven. And then the pandemic hit. And I thought to myself, well, we've got to get through this game. What am I going to do? So we actually set up a webcam down onto the board and the two other people that were playing in their own home had their cards with them and they would tell us where to move their man and and we were, and, and, had, and what their attacks were and we, we, finished, the, we finished it um, on what we called Zoom Haven. So it's it's definitely got a very special place in my heart because of that. It's, as you said, HeroQuest dungeon crawler style game. You each control a figure that is your character. And as you get experience and play the game, you collect gold and you can upgrade your character and it buy, buy items to equip it. So I think it's a symbol. I haven't played Dungeons and Dragons, so I don't know how closely related it is to that. I, I did try to play Dungeons and Dragons once and I couldn't work out what the win condition was. And with the win condition with <laughs> Gloomhaven is you have you have a scenario and you're working towards the goal and objective together as your team. So it is a cooperative game. And and it's and and it's yeah, as I said, it's a choose your own adventure story. So at the end you can then choose what scenario you'd like to do, or if you'd like to go back to Gloomhaven and and it sort of helps set the theme of the story. Uh, you have road events cards that you draw before you get to the scenario that helps build this story and theme as you go through it. So I think we ended up playing about 70 scenarios of this game. And so that's obviously I'm a big advocate for it. I if and so and then as we mentioned earlier, they've just released Frosthaven. So it was meant to come out two years ago and this was the first thing that I've ever done on Kickstarter and that was a very good lesson for me that Kickstarter you know they have their it takes two years longer than what they say it's going to take this mm -hmm. is what I've learned um so Frosthaven is the same mechanics as Gloomhaven but they've taken it one step further in that you have a, a village on the outskirts of the world called Frosthaven and you have to defend it. And so another element of the game is you acquire resources to build and protect this village throughout different winter and summer seasons. So uh, as I said, I've only just started the admin for it. Both of these games require somebody to be good at admin and to get it, dedicate time to it. Uh, but it's not, I wouldn't call it onerous. I actually quite enjoyed it most of the time. So I am about to embark on this adventure and I must say that I'm very excited about it. One change that they've made with Frosthaven over Gloomhaven is they've added a new mechanic called Inspiration. So we're not 
I've, I've learned the lesson the hard way and I don't think I can con the people that I conned into playing Gloomhaven with me the first time to do Frosthaven with me the second time, except for my husband, because he has to. So we're going to do it just as a two-player mm -hmm. game. And we've got this new mechanic called Inspiration, which is to aid people who are only playing two characters. So I think uh, I'm really excited about it. And I it's definitely a more complex game. This is not somebody that you sit, this is not a game that you sit down and play with. Um, someone who's never played board games before. But if you're into it and you're really happy to have a continuous game that you're you're always drawn back to for an extended period of time, then this would be it. And I worked out how much I spent on it because obviously it was a while ago now. I think it cost $250, including postage from the US. And when you work that out over the number of hours spent playing this game, 16.2 kilograms is the box weight. Oof. it's complete value for money. I, I just think it's it's for some of the best money well spent. The only disappointing aspect that I have is it's a, it's a legacy game. So once it's played, it can't be replayed. You can go back mm -hmm. and play these scenarios, but you can't ever go back to the start again. And I think in some ways that makes it a bit special too. Yes. it It's also, as you say, it's it's a campaign system more yes. than it is a board game because you're playing through a series of games and it is nice that it's cooperative. So you're working with people to, to achieve this quest. It, it, it is when you finish it, like you have, I can only imagine the feeling of accomplishment that that gives you for having survived this thing. And, you know, it, as you say, it's great. If you play the whole thing through, or even part of the way through, it is great value for money compared to a lot of board games because it has tons of replayability up until the point where it doesn't. But how many board games are you playing that much that you would get to that level of time into a game to start with? I think it's great that it keeps you coming back again and again and again. Um, and it gives you different experiences each time, right? And so if somebody said to me, well, I'm, I'm interested in playing this now. Should I play Gloomhaven or should I go straight to Frosthaven? So my suggestion would be to uh, – they've actually got a beginner Gloomhaven version. I'm pretty sure it's called Jaws of the Lion. Um, yep, it is. It's called Jaws of the Lion. So that's, uh, I think, 15 scenarios that you can play through and it's a similar game mechanic to Gloomhaven. So that would be what I would recommend people try. Try that. And if you loved it, uh, I would try and extend the playability of this game as much as possible. So I would then do Gloomhaven and then Frosthaven. Nice. Uh, but people can ask. I, I, let me let me play a few scenarios of Frosthaven and I'll let you know if it's better to play with this new inspiration mechanic. We'll, we'll wait and see. But, yeah, very exciting time, Brad. It is. It is. No. It's like Christmas. Can I, can I ask a question? The, you were saying that you can't go back and replay it. Is that like, like you, there are literally components that you have to sort of Deface or destroy? Yeah, you, you you rip up, you tear out, throw out cards. You can go oh. back and replay scenarios if you choose to, but it's it's about progressing the game through. So it's uh it's it's not designed to be replayed. And I thought, well, maybe I could go and rebuy the book or pieces from the game, but it's almost oh, I think maybe seventy percent of the game gets torn up or changed in some way so yeah i, don't, I can't see that working the frost the adding that kind of 
um, uh, strategic aspect to it with the management of your settlement it reminds me of um, of uh, Kingdom Death, um, which mm. sounds like I've already played Kingdom Death a little bit. I'm not I'm not invested in that game, and you have to be invested in that game. It's massive mm. and crazy. Um, I've got a friend who's done that, so that's cool. Um, but it sounds very similar in that game is just that game is just on boss fight and then and then settlement management in between but the other thing that we haven't touched on in the today's podcast which uh is is quite important you can probably do a whole podcast on it is board game inserts and i feel like mm-hmm. dave would definitely have strong opinions on this and with gloomhaven i felt like it was important to buy an insert to help sort and organize the cards but frosthaven i opened the box and i was so impressed everything was laid out beautifully it has a big sheet of paper on stop it says on on the top and it says stop don't go any further read this carefully and it helped me set up the game and i did spend three hours the other night setting the game up ready to be played um <laughs> best three hours i spent this week so it's uh yeah, and I don't feel like I need I I don't feel like I need to buy anything more to 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 help with this game at this point. Nice. Well, let's move on to a game that I absolutely adore. Uh, that would have been my choice, Drew, uh, <laughs> but you did introduce me to it. So please talk to us about Mansions of Madness. All right. So. Um... This is the second edition of Mansions of Madness. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games put one out. I can't remember how long ago. The first edition, um, which essentially had a DM player, so one player against the rest um, sort of situation. The, the second version of the game is more or less this identical, but rather than have a person manage all those uh decks of cards and look up tables and books and reference and all that sort of stuff. Rather than have a person manage all that, um, they just replaced it with a with an app, um, which does irk some people. I've played a couple of games that have sort of companion apps. And I don't mind it, um, but there are definitely purists out there who don't like that merging of sort of video game and, and board game. Uh, but I don't think... I don't think the app here detracts from the game. I think it just streamlines... Uh, the management of the game. Um, I, I would like to put in for one second, Drew, because sure. I have a massive gripe with this game's app. It is so good that I introduced this game to my wife, and now every single time I show her a game, she goes, the very first thing she asks, but does it have an app? <laughs> And so I can't get her to play anything else but Mansions of Madness unless there is some strange alignment of the planets because this game's app is so good. It has, you know, thematic music in the background. It has the sound effects. It has everything she wants in a board game. It keeps her interested. It keeps her going. And she loves that interactivity with you, the group of players working cooperatively against the app and the game itself. She thinks it's great and she doesn't want anything else. So that is my gripe with this app, that it's too good. So I I chose this game. I I love the game, but it also reminds me of, I would say the first game I played that, that you couldn't buy it at like a target or a Kmart or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is like, 
Betrayal at the House on the Hill was my first kind of like I'm going to say like big kids board game that I that I ever played. Um, after playing miniature games for, for years, and then after a tournament one night, someone pulled out Betrayal and played through that, and that game is brilliant. I love that game, um, and it's aesthetically quite similar. You're, you're building this mansion mm-hmm. to walk through. Um, the reason the reason I think I prefer this over Betrayal is that at some point during Betrayal someone becomes a traitor to the group and has mm-hmm. to has to sort of start playing as the antagonist. And if you're trying to play with people that haven't played board games before, if 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 one person suddenly has to switch roles from being part of a cooperative group to a to a solo player, um, that can that can be quite hard if they haven't if they're not an experienced board gamer. Um, and so I like this game um better because it doesn't do that um the app controls the antagonist so everyone's protagonist but so um it's it, it's almost a reskinned dungeon crawler and that it's a you know call it a mansion crawler but um it's all based on the um the lovecraft mythos and you show up at this house um you get a you get a voiceover sort of scenario set up um through the app which um puts all your characters at the scene. There's a mystery to be solved, usually within a mansion, but not all of the scenarios are based in a mansion mm-hmm. and there are expansions that take it elsewhere. Um, and the app just walks you through what ple- what tiles to put down, what pieces to put down. Um, you have your character card, which um, gives you a sort of strengths and weaknesses in every, every other character. Um, and yeah, you walk your way through the mansion, finding clues, uncovering things, um, fighting the occasional monster. Some scenarios are quite combat heavy and some scenarios mm-hmm. are not combat heavy at all. Um, and then most of the scenarios have either a sort of literal timer or a, or, or a countdown of some sort towards some event, which if you haven't gathered enough clues by the time you get to that point that it can make um, victory very difficult. Um, but often, some scenarios where if you don't have the clues, you just lose outright. Other scenarios where if you don't have the right clues, then the big monster will be summoned and then you have to fight them. And being sort of based in Lovecraft, fighting the big monster doesn't usually end well. Because um, mm-hmm. you are a bunch of just people. You know, there's the librarian. There's, um, I'm trying to think of something like you know, the the drifter. There's, you're not like superheroes here. You are just like normal people, um, normal people from the in the 30s, I suppose. Uh, so you're not performing superhuman feats. You might pick up the occasional magic item, which might make you a bit more powerful, but really you're just like some people um, trying to take on a cult or um, some giant monster that's going to take over the world if it's let out of the basement kind of thing. Um, and as you said, the app kind of steps you through it. Um, there, you do still need to understand the rules separately from the app. But the app does sort of guide you through a lot of those things and prompt you through a lot of things, which is good. Um, there, there are two sort of health trackers here. You've got your your physical health and your mental health. Um, if if you lose physical health, you could be injured and eventually die. Um, if you lose uh, sanity it's called the mental health um you can lose enough sanity that you literally are out of the game like you you are 
you're not dead, but your your mind is so broken that you are no longer contributing to the game. Um, but there, you can suffer sort of sanity injuries as well, which tweak your victory condition. Mm-hmm. And it could be it could just be that you have to satisfy some some quirk secretly before you personally can achieve victory. Um, oh, sorry, I'll back that pedal here. It's this game is pure co-op. Um, mm-hmm. But if you suffer a injury to your sanity, your your victory conditions will will change slightly and secretly. Um, perhaps um, your condition might be that you can't have any doors that haven't been opened. So you you might suffer kind of crippling curiosity that every single door has to be opened. And if the scenario finishes with any door unopened, um, the group may win, but you don't win because yeah. you didn't open every door, that kind of thing. Um, but it's um, it's oozing with theme, this game. The, the artwork is uh, brilliant. You can, if you, if you have a look at any images of the tiles, you, 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 can, you can see all the tiles are double-sided, so you get a lot of different um, variability here. Um, mm-hmm. The game comes with a bunch of miniatures. I got, grabbed a couple from my set here, um, which I've painted. I've painted all my miniatures, and I've replaced the bases. Um, they come with these big, clunky back black bases that obscure most of the artwork, so I've replaced them all with sort of um, clear acrylic discs um, because it makes the game look a bit nicer. Yeah. Um, if you pick up some of the expansions, um, all of the expansions in the first edition um, can be brought into this this edition. So the, the physical pieces, like the tiles and the and the uh, miniatures, they all can be brought across. So you haven't lost all of those. Um, and yeah, it really does sort of bulk the game out and give you a lot of different scenarios you can play. Um, unlike Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, there's no um, scenarios sort of. Well, there's no campaign system here, so each scenario is separate and independent, and you don't sort of progress from one to the other. Um, which I feel like would be something that could be easily added in with the app, but um, there haven't been a lot of expansions to this game lately, so. Not you sure need a lot that. of uh, help psychologically for a lot of the characters because a lot of them are quite mad at the end of the game. Um, Drew, I think you said this. I'm sorry. I was fixing my camera at one point. This is a Lovecraftian themed game. So if you are yeah. into Cthulhu verse at all, this is squarely in that. Um, it's, uh, it's nice in public domain now. So everyone can make uh, Cthulhu games, but uh, fantasy flight have, have quite a few that, that share similar mechanics. Um, but at different levels. So this is this is if if I had to sort of put on a spectrum, you have to sort of this game is a very sort of intimate, small, small space um, uh, setup where something like um, Arkham Horror is a city level, but you'll see a lot of the same mechanics and uh, and imagery between the two games. And uh, what's the other one? There's, a, there's another one which is like a global level. Um, Lost the name, sorry, but yeah, again, it's very similar and similar, similar um, imagery. Uh, and talking about talking about box inserts, mm-hmm. I've I've made all my own custom ones so that it fit into the expansion boxes, so that all the miniatures there um, throw a little spot fit into to the nice boxes. Drew, you were the um, first person I ever saw who made box inserts for anything and you made them from scratch for this game because you wanted to have all your models painted and you wanted them to be safe in the box with the game itself. Yeah. It's outrageous. 
uh, you open your box and it's like Tetris. It's unbelievable. That's fun. I don't, I don't do it often enough. Well, but this, this is the game that, that I, I have a few expansions and I wanted to sort of try and fit everything into the, into the main box. So, well, you'll have to come over and we can play some more soon, my friend, because uh, mm. I have also picked up a few expansions and we have got to play. So, and as I said, this is the only game Carson will play. So, <laughs> got to do it. Um, as you said, there are tons of expansions for this and there are more coming out all the time. I also love Mansions of Madness. I think it's wonderfully atmospheric. The app just adds so much, both with the music and with the sound effects. And some of the the missions in particular you really do feel like you're racing against the clock running around the board trying to accomplish as much as you can before it all goes wrong and i just think that is such a it makes for such a rich fun cooperative gaming experience that um i also highly recommend mansions of madness so there's, there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of variation in the scenarios like you know obviously they're all horror themed but like there's there's some scenarios where you you're you're being chased around a town by a by a supernatural mob um and you have to sort of find clues before the mob sets the place on fire and and lynches you um where in other ones where like you might be defending a mansion against a zombie horde that are sort of trying to knock down the doors and you have to go and reinforce that door then that window's now got a a, a breach and you have to go um fix that up um or like the cult, which is something in the big, be big beastie in the basement, but you don't know anything about it, and you kind of have to figure that out before you get down and stop them. There's, mm -hmm. So the scenarios are quite varied, even though they all sort of they all like have this horror theme. It's not as static as it's, it, you would think. Exactly, and as you said, lots of variety to the scenarios. Well, let's move on to a game that I don't know much about, but I've heard people talking about Terra Mystica. Dave, I am not familiar with this too much, but it looks good, and there are dwarves on the cover, which is always a good sign. <laughs> this is, um, uh, without a doubt, my number one favorite game of all time. So this is it's just like I just love this game. It's got a it's got a special place. Um, in uh, in my, my wife and I's kind of board gaming journey when we went to get this game and um, and when we started playing it, it was the first time we kind of expanded into a really complex game where we're, we're reading through the, the instruction manual trying not to get a nosebleed and just trying to work out what everything everything does you know so um, essentially it's it's area area um, uh, control on, on a map um, you're terraforming different lands to match your land type. Um, and then on that land, you're going to build dwellings, trading houses, sanctuaries, temples, um, and uh, strongholds. And they're all going to give you particular benefits for building that. Um, the, the best thing about this game is it is um, completely uh, it's asymmetrical. So every race has their own special ability. Um, it's an incredibly balanced game, even though you've got these different uh, different um, sort of special um, powers or skills for, for each race. Um, and we we are so invested in this game that you know every expansion has been bought. There's some fan made um, additional races that we we downloaded and printed out of OfficeWorks and laminated. So we're we're playing those. Um, it's it's next level, you know. Um, 
And this is also a game that is on Board Game Arena. So we have um, some friends that we're able to, to um, hook up with online and, and, and play the, this game. So it's, it's one of those games that um, I, I guess uh, maybe somebody else might not enjoy this. So you, it's one of those games where it kind of gives you that feeling. If you looked at the mechanics of it, it's been developed by somebody who's incredibly good at maths or, or you know, that, that kind of science approach. I am not that type of person. So I'm, I, I don't even see that. I'm just playing the game because I've got a little race of lizard people and they're trying to build lots of, <laughs> lots of houses and then they're trying to build temples and they're, they're trying to meet all the winning conditions. I, I don't really, I, I overlook the math behind it. Um, but I think the, the good thing with this is there's um, there's ways of scoring points for your race. There's ways of scoring points at the end of every round. And then there's a way of scoring points at the very end of the game. The expansions offer a bit of variety to that. Um, and there's a little bit of conflict in getting in, in each other's way. Um, you're trying to, uh, you know, if somebody blocks you on land, then you have to resort to going on the rivers and try to get around the, the board that way. Um, you know, at the bottom of the board, there's some um, sort of communal uh, options that people can spend resources to to use and they if they get taken then all of a sudden you don't have that option to you anymore so you've got to be fast turn order is um is a big part of it but in that true euro game style everyone had the same option you know everyone had the same the same sort of starting um position and you just used your race to the to the best of your ability and you came out on on, on top so just a, a really um, a really good game that um, has a really special place in, in my heart for, um, for for what it offers and it's a game that um, our, our friend group or our board gaming group you 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 reach the top level whenever you've been taught how to play Terra Mystica and you, you're then, you know, one of the Terra Mystica players and you get brought, brought into it to play that. So it's like that. That's what you've leveled up, you know. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, yeah, very good game. It looks... It looks like several other games that I've played in the past, be Carcassonne or um, Underworlds, and it really, yeah, ooh, it, it's scratching all the right itches. You even have yeah, a hand flavor to it. Yeah, and it, listen, it it is complex. Don't get me wrong, because there, there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different strategies that you have to implement in, in order to be successful. Um, and there's also a lot of reactive decisions that you have to make as um, on top of that. But but ultimately, it's just about trying to grow your your civilization over the biggest area. Um, and there's also a separate religious track um, where you can uh, move up the four different religious tracks. So you're, there's another way of getting points over here and usually the best player is the person who's been able to manage both of those to the best of their ability, but um, really big online presence for this game as well. Um, there's a good app for it. Um, and, uh, and it's just an excellent board game. An app you say, yes. play. Hey, what do you know? <laughs> Not that kind of app, you know, it doesn't give you atmospheric swamp music or anything, you know, <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Um, <laughs> My game would have been Mansions of Madness, uh, but instead I'm going to shift to something that my brother-in-law just introduced me to, which the rest of the world has clearly been playing because I think the sticker on the front of my box said the world's most played game. So it's called Seven Wonders. Now, I really like this game. If you are not familiar, in this game, you are a city, one of the cities that has one of the seven wonders of the world. And... As you play through each, you play three rounds, three turns. And in each turn, there's a stack of cards and you divide them out equally amongst the players. Um, and you, as your turn 
happens sorry within that turn you look at the cards in your hand and you can play one of them or buy something depending on what card out of that hand you want to play what i found to to build to your city what i found to be really interesting about this game is after you've played a card you then give that hand of cards to the next player and then the person on the other side gives you theirs so the the decks of hands constantly circulate so it's never an an idea of like oh i don't know what my opponents have in their hand because you're constantly sharing cards um but it it definitely as my brother-in-law said it's just a series of bad decisions when you're playing this game because you're always like, Oh, I, I really want this card and I really want to make this thing happen. Oh, but I could do this one. Oh, I'll just wait till next time. And then the hand will come back around and the thing you wanted will be gone. Or you realize you, you grabbed the wrong resource and you go, Oh, I'll just grab this other thing. And someone else will have played it or they will have buried it in advancing their city into a more modern place. It's just a really neat mechanic. Um, I really enjoyed playing this game. We played it, I think, six or seven times. And I think in six or seven times, I didn't win once. And we played a ton. And I just wanted to play it more and more and more. Um, the game has lots of replayability in that you can flip each city over. And so there's two different ways to play each city. And the basic game has a bunch of cities to start with. It also scales up and down, which is really nice. One of the things I don't like with Ticket to Ride so much is, for example, if you have like five players, it feels really cramped. It's like the board is claustrophobic. You just can't get where you want to go because everyone's in each other's way. This game has extra cards that you add in when you have four players, when you have five players, when you have six players. And so it scales up so you never quite feel claustrophobic while you're playing it i think that's a wonderful touch um it is a lot of fun you again lots of different ways to win um you can win by having all the resources and then building um things for your city you can build giant militaries and raise other people's cities you can advance scientifically um you can create some of the wonders of the world and put them in your cities to uh, advance your score or you can just have tons of money and again that can expand your score to and the person with the highest score obviously wins tons of different winning conditions and every time i thought i was doing all right i didn't so yeah it wasn't um my most successful but it was still a wonderful time um has anyone else played this game dave you've played this game right yeah, it's funny. I actually, I've only played this game a couple of times and then immediately sort of migrated to the two-player version of it um, because it would just it made more sense for for how how it was going to be played in, in my house. So, um, still a great game. Um, and uh, you know, th there's a lot of crossover between this and the the two-player. Um, but the two-player still feels like a very separate game at the at the same time. But yeah, really good theme. Um, the, the the wonders of the world are trying to fight to get the the right resources to be able to build. Um, um, everything that you want to be able to, to build and get the points that you need. Nice. Libby, have you played this? Because yeah, you I've play played Duel. I've played this, the base version, a lot. I love it. And I think it's similar. The reason why I'm attracted to it is similar to Splendor, which is that resource accumulation uh, and that that engine, I think it's an engine building type me me uh, mechanic that I just uh, – 
I just love it. And then you can buy more things and your village is getting, your city's getting so big and you've got, yep, now I've got that resource. I can buy that. I don't have to pay gold for it. And then somebody does a sneaky science win and it's all ruined for you. But uh, similar to Dave, I've played a lot of the dual version and we've got the the dual version's got a few expansions as well, which I highly recommend too. Um, So 100% love this game. Nice. Well, I look forward to learning how to play it better because every time I think I'm going all right, someone smashes me in a different way. I keep coming second, but never winning. Um, I do like games with 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 um with variable ways to win. Like there's there's not just one goal. It's a nice touch, right? It it really does add a lot to the game that you know you're not just trying to get to the top of snakes and ladders to win. It there's there's a way, but it's also not Monopoly where the game runs forever until someone has all the money and everyone else is dead. So you know yeah i feel like i need to play more of this game but let's get off of that and sort of wrap this up because we've been going for quite a while i think we seen see a lot of commonalities in the games that we've presented today all of them or at least a lot of them are cooperative a lot of them involve multiple ways to win a lot of them have resource management but there's different combinations thereof. And therein, as the bard says, lies the rub. It is always, you know, there are a million different games and you find the ones that connect with you and that have a nice app or just have a nice mechanic that calls to you and that you, you know, makes you want to come back again and again. I hope that you guys have gotten something out of this. I know it's actually 14 games, not 12, but... Uh, it has been enjoyable for me. I know that this has made me want to play a bunch of different games, including the ones that I recommended. And uh, I do have, I'm hoping to have a, a game afternoon soon. Uh, and so rather than maybe throwing down bolt action for a change, I think it might be time to throw down some board games. Uh, Libby, any final thoughts about board games? Or are you happy to call it a night? I'll just make one comment, which is, the most enjoyable thing about board games is at a weeknight having dinner, sitting down with Lee and playing a 30 to 60 minute game together before we get ready for bed. It's just such a nice quality time together and I just, just love it. Awesome. Awesome. Dave. Yeah. Um, we're, we're exactly the same as <laughs> Libby. Uh, Kaz and I, it's our, it's our thing to do. <laughs> play, play a little board game just before bed or wake up on a Sunday morning, play a board game, <laughs> which, which sounds incredibly sad, but it, it's good fun. It's enjoyable. Uh, what, what I will say is, um, so uh, I spoke to, to, to you guys about it earlier on. There is an app called ScorePal. Um, every board game group has that one person who um, who is convinced that they are the uh, the best at a game. ScorePal allows you to um, record every game that you play. Um, so you, it will search it up on BoardGameGeek. It will bring up a picture of it. You can then add users to your group and you can add the users that played that game and it then records that game and it puts the statistics away in the background. Um, so you can quickly tell who is the best player at that game, who did actually get the highest ever score in that game and who is more importantly the worst player of that game of which i'm often the worst but i don't care because i'm having fun right on right on 
And what was the name of that app again? That's ScorePal. ScorePal. All right. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, if the most competitive person, you've met my brother-in-law. Hi, Craig. Um, but yeah, we'll <laughs> have to do that. Drew, any final thoughts? Um, I'd sound like, you know, you're saying get out front of everybody and play a board game and it sounds sad. I'm like, no, that sounds delightful. But um, all right, as 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 the years have gotten on, my wife and I found like we haven't got the time or energy to, to do that sort of thing much. But um, as my kids are getting older and my, um, my oldest is nearly 10, um, they're starting to be able to play more games and more sophisticated games. And that's, um, that's something I can hope to share with them more and more because um, something they all seem to enjoy doing. Um, and it's, it's sort of something we can all appreciate on the same level. And then I'm hoping that eventually we can sort of transition to, other sorts of games that that I like to play, and I play with Brad, like tabletop miniature games, role playing games. Um, uh, they enjoy card games too. Um, they're the Pokemon, though, not Magic. Uh, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying playing a lot of um, tabletop games with my kids. Um, hopefully, you can too. Exactly. Well, guys, you guys have said it best. I think I am all done there. Uh, I do have to say, though, thank you very much to all of you for coming on today. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk about the games that we love and why we love them. It's always wonderful to hear why we're passionate about the games that we play. And all of you are all obviously passionate about the games that you've recommended today and about some of the games that some of the other players have recommended today. So Awesome. Thank you very much for taking the time. I think that leaves us with what our buddy Casey always says. And I can't think of an episode where this is more applicable. So ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold, but more than that, we at cast dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there guys. Good night. Tear and spend out now.